0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. Let me tell you up front what I hope is going to happen in the time we spend together this morning and with many of you tonight. My first desire is that if if you're married, that your marriage will get better. Would that be all right with you? Marriages either get better or they get worse. They never stand still. And I certainly hope your marriage will not get worse because I came. (laughs) I hope it'll get better. And if you're a single adult, I hope that all of your relationships will get better. If you are a parent of children, I hope your parent-child relationships will get better. My second desire is that you will learn some things that you'll find so helpful. You want to share them with your friends who are not here but who desperately need help in their relationships. You know who I'm talking about? I hope that you'll share it with others. I want to talk in this hour about the most important word in the English language and the most confusing word in the English language. The reason I say it's the most important word is because Jesus said in John 13, verse 35, this is the way that they will know that you're my disciple by the way you love each other. In other words, he gave the non-Christian world the right to judge whether or not we are following him by the way we love each other. That makes it a pretty important word. But I say it's the most confusing word because we use the word love in a thousand ways. We say, for example, I love hot dogs. (laughs) Or in North Carolina, where I live, we say, I love barbecue. And in North Carolina, that's always pork barbecue. Then I hear people say, I just love the mountains. Oh, I love the beach. I love my new car. I love my dog. And then we say to a special someone, I love you. (laughs) Hot dogs and barbecue. (laughs) I'm not going to talk about a thousand ways that we use the word love. I'm going to talk only about three ways that we use the word love. And I'm going to focus on the third of these. The first one is what we typically call falling in love. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard a lecture on falling in love. I doubt it. If you want to learn about falling in love in our culture, you have to listen to country music. (laughs) they're falling in love or out of love, every other song? (laughs) Well, this kind of love, we don't talk about much in church, but I think it's important to understand, this kind of love actually begins with a feeling. Uh, I call it the tingles. We get these emotional tingles. Somebody, the way they look, the way they talk, the way they emote, just triggers something inside of us emotionally. And we want to be with them again and again and again. And eventually, it becomes an emotional obsession. We literally get obsessed with them. We can't get them off our mind. Okay? Uh, We go to bed thinking about them. We wake up thinking about them. All day long, we think about them. They are the most wonderful person we have ever met in our lives. Now, our mothers can see their flaws, but we can't. Our mother will say, well, now, honey, have you considered they haven't had a steady job in five years? And you'll say, mama, give them a break. They're just waiting for the right opportunity. Now, people have asked me if this kind of love is in the Bible, and it is in the Song of Solomon. It's the book we don't read in church. (laughs) But in chapter five of the Song of Solomon, here is a lady who's in love, and here's the way she talks. She says about him, My lover is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. Line up 10,000 men, and he'll stand out above all of them. She goes on to describe him, and she ends up saying, He is altogether lovely. This is my lover. This is my friend. Ah. And then chapter four, here's a husband in love, and here's what he says. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. That's pretty contemporary. (laughs) Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its own twin. She must have had braces for that to happen. (laughs) And he goes on to describe her, and then he ends up by saying, "All beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. That's the way you feel when you're in love. Now, I'm not against falling in love. It wouldn't matter if I were. It happens. I think it's happened throughout the course of human history. God made us that way, and we are attracted to each other. But what no one ever told me is that that's not the foundation for marriage. Uh, You know, what I heard through all the years is, if you got the real thing, it's going to last forever. But nobody tells you how to figure out what the real thing is. I went to my mother and I said, Mom, how do you know when you're really in love? And she said what many mothers have said through the years. She said, Son, if it's real, you'll know it. I like my mother. That didn't help me at all. (laughs) And we don't help young people very much. And the other thing that they didn't tell me was that the average lifespan of those euphoric feelings where they're just the most wonderful person in the world has an average lifespan of two years. Some a little longer, some a little less, average two years, and we come down off the high. Now, let's be glad we come down off the high, because if we didn't. You'd have to close down business, industry, church, education. You can't get anything done when you're in love. Next door, (laughs) uh, being in love is next door to being insane. (laughs) But nobody told me that. I was always told, got the real thing, it's going to last forever. Well, my wife and I had dated a little over two years before we got married. I came down off the high pretty soon after the honeymoon. (laughs) And everything my mother had told me about her was true. And I'm sure everything her mother told her about me was true. (laughs) And then we had our conflicts. And we didn't know how to solve conflicts. Because when you're in love, you don't think you'll have any. And we ended up arguing with each other. Because I knew I was right. She knew she was right. And we argued. And eventually we said hateful things to each other. And not only did we lose all those positive feelings, we now had negative feelings toward each other. And maybe that's why... I'm so empathetic with people who are hurting in their marriage because I know what it's like to be married and miserable and feel like you made a mistake and feel like we're too different and it's never going to work out. And I think God allowed us to go through that because he had in mind that I would be spending my life in ministering to couples who are experiencing similar thoughts and similar feelings in their own relationship. Well, obviously, we did work our things out, and God did lead us to that, and I'll share that later on in this hour. But I, I just wish I'd known beforehand that I was going to come down off the high. And other, otherwise, I don't, I don't think I would have felt nearly as frustrated if I had known I was going to come out off the high, and if I'd known the other things that I'm going to tell you this morning. second way we use the word love that I want to talk about this morning is not nearly as exciting but far more important, and that is love as an attitude. That, that doesn't do much for you, does it? Love as a way of thinking. When, when the Bible says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You think he's talking about the, the tingles? Husband, get the tingles for your wife like Christ has the tingles for the church. No, no, no. No, 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 no. He's saying, have the same attitude toward your wife that Christ has toward the church. He gave himself for the church all the way to death. You have that same attitude. You see, this kind of love is totally different from what we typically think of as romantic love. This is, is something. We choose our attitudes. We don't choose to fall in love. You don't get up one day and say, I think I'll fall in love with the first person I see. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. But every single day, we choose our attitude. We choose an attitude of love, which is the attitude Christ had, I'm here to enrich your life. I'm here to give my life in service to you. If we have an attitude of love, it'll affect everything we do all day long with everyone we encounter, including our wife, including our children, including everybody else we meet. We choose our attitude every single day. We either choose an attitude of love or an attitude of selfishness. And by nature, our attitude is selfish. So in a marriage, if I have an attitude that's selfish, I'm in this marriage to make me happy. And if you're not making me happy, I'm going to find somebody who will. So we either choose the attitude of selfishness or we choose the attitude of love. They're they're opposite extremes. One is, I'm in the world and I'm in this marriage and I have these children in order to give to them and enrich their lives. And if every member of the family has that, the whole family is enriching each other's life. Wow. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Now, I'm not going to talk a lot about attitude because this kind of love we talk about in the church. We talk about loving your neighbor doing things positive in your life, investing your life in helping, serving people. And so I'm not going to talk a lot about it, but it's extremely important. And I'll come back to it later. But I want to focus on the third way we use the word love. And that's one we really don't talk about much in church. And that is love as an emotional need. Almost everyone agrees that one of the deepest emotional needs we have on the human level is the need to feel loved by the significant people in our lives. I like to picture inside every child, there's an emotional love tank. And if that love tank is full, that is the child genuinely feels loved by the parents, the child grows up emotionally healthy. But if the love tank is empty and the child does not feel loved by the parents, the child grows up with many internal emotional struggles. In the teenage years, they will likely go looking for love typically in all the wrong places. But I believe that adults also have an emotional love tank. And if you're married, the person you would most like to love you is your spouse. In fact, if you feel loved by your spouse, life is beautiful. But if a love tank is empty and you feel like they don't love me, they wish they weren't married to me, life begins to look pretty dark. And just as much of the misbehavior of children grows out of an empty love tank, Much of the misbehavior of adults grows out of an empty love tank. So you're in a marriage, you're struggling, you don't have any positive feelings, you have these negative feelings, you're feeling like and thinking that we shouldn't have gotten married in the first place, and then what happens? Somebody at work says to you one morning, good morning. Ooh, that's the kindest words I've heard in a long time, good morning to you. (laughs) And now we have a new tingle, and what happens is eventually we end up following that tingle and we check out over here. You know why I know, even though that's so common, why I know that's not the best choice to make? Because the divorce rate in second marriages is higher than the divorce rate in first marriages. And the divorce rate in third marriages is higher even still. The answer's not running. The answer's learning. Now, look, I'm not here to condemn anyone. You know, there, there are those of you that are in first marriage, second marriage, third marriage, maybe more. Listen, we are where we are, okay? We can't go backwards. But starting right where we are, we can make things different in all of our relationships. Now, the difficulty in learning how to keep the love tank full in a marriage after you come down off the high is that we've made the assumption that what makes one person feel loved will make another person feel loved. And that's a false assumption. Never forget the first time I encountered this in my office. A couple came in. I didn't know them, never met them. Found out later they'd been married to each other for 30 years. They sat down and the wife said, Dr. Chapman, before we start, let me just tell you a little bit about us. She said, uh, uh, first of all, she said, we don't argue. We don't believe in arguing. We don't have any money problems. She said, I was reading an article that said money's the biggest problem in marriage. She said, well, not for us. She went on with two or three more positive things. I'm beginning to ask myself, Did they come in here to tell me what a good marriage they have? (laughs) But then she starts crying. And she says, but Dr. Chapman, the problem is I just don't feel any love coming from him. We're like two roommates living in the same house. He does his thing and I do my thing. But there's nothing going on between us. And I feel so empty. And I don't know how long I can go on like this. I looked over at her husband, and he said, I don't understand her. (laughs) I do everything I can to show her that I love her. She sits there and tells you what she's been telling me. She doesn't feel loved. He said, I don't know what else to do. I said, well, what do you do to show your love to her? He said, well, I get home from work before she does, so I start the evening meal. And he said, some nights I have it ready when she gets home. If not, said, she'll help me. And said, then we eat together. And he said, after we eat, he said, i wash the dishes. And he said, every Thursday night I vacuum the floor. And every Saturday I wash the car and mow the grass and help her with the laundry. And he went on. I was beginning to wonder, what does this woman do? (laughs) It sounded to me like he was doing everything. And he said, I do all of that. And she sits there and says she doesn't feel loved. He said, I don't know what else to do. I look back at her and she started crying again. And she said, Dr. Chapman, he's right. He's a hardworking man. She said, but we don't ever talk. We haven't talked in 20 years. He's always mowing the grass, washing the dishes, back in the floor. You understand what's going on? A sincere husband who is doing everything he knows to do to show his wife that he loves her and a wife who doesn't get it. And after that, I heard similar stories over and over in my office. And I knew there had to be a pattern to what I was hearing, but I had no idea what it was. So eventually, I took time to sit down and read several years of notes that I made when I was counseling and asked myself the question, when someone sat in my office and said, I feel like my spouse doesn't love me. What did they want? What were they complaining about? And their answers fell into five categories. And I later call them the five love languages. And I started sharing that in my counseling, that if you want her to feel love, you've got to express love in her language. If you want him to feel love, you've got to do the same. And I would help couples discover each other's love language, challenge them to go home and try it, and sometimes they would come back in three weeks and say, Gary, this is changing everything. The whole climate's different now. And then I started using it with, with groups of, small groups of couples, and the same thing would happen. And probably five years later, I thought, you know, if I could put this concept in a book and write it in the language of the common person, maybe I could help a lot of couples that I would never have time to see in my office. Little did I know that that book would sell now over 15 million copies in English and be translated in over 50 languages around the world. In fact, after the first service, a lady came up and showed me a copy in Bra- from Brazil in Portuguese that she, she had. People said to me, Gary, how, does that ha- how did that happen? I mean, it sells more every year than it did the year before, and that doesn't happen with books. I say, the short answer is God. And the long answer is God. That's all I know. (laughs) I think what has happened on the human level is couples read it, they take the quiz, they discover each other's language, they start trying it, it changes their whole, the whole emotional climate of the marriage. Then they want their brother and his wife to read it, their sister and her husband. It's just gone word of mouth all over the world. So I want to share with you the five love languages. If you've read the book, it'll be a review. If you haven't read the book, it'll be an introduction, okay? Okay. And uh, if you're not familiar with these, you might want to jot them down. Uh, first of all is words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Love edifies. Love builds up. So one way to express love is to use words that build up the other person. You look nice in that outfit. I really appreciate what you did. You know one of the things I like about you? It's simply using words to bring to their attention something that you appreciate, something you like about them. You know, there's an ancient Hebrew proverb that says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. You can kill people by the way you talk to them, and you can give them life. For some people, words of affirmation is their love language. And you give these people negative words, critical words, harsh words, it's like a dagger in their heart. See, the opposite of their primary love language is also that which hurts them most deeply words of affirmation. Now, I did have a lady say to me some time ago, she said, Gary, I hear you, and I know it would be good if I could give my husband some positive words. She said, but to be honest with you, I can't think of anything good to say about the man. (laughs) I said, well, does he ever take a shower? And she said, well, yes. I said, how often? She said, well, every day. I said, if I were you, I'd start there. (laughs) Honey, I appreciate you taking a shower. I said, there are men who don't. I've never met a man. I've never met a woman. You couldn't find something good to say about them. And for some people, this is their love language. Love language number two is gifts. It's universal to give gifts as an expression of love. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, the verse I gave you earlier, it said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, listen, and gave himself for it. In that illustration, Christ himself is the gift. Before I studied counseling and theology, I uh, did an undergrad and a master's in cultural anthropology. We have studied cultures all over the world. We've never found a culture anywhere in the world where gift giving is not an expression of love, it's universal to give gifts. Now, the gift doesn't have to be expensive. Haven't we always said it's the thought that counts? But I remind you, it's not the thought left in your head that counts. It's the gift that came out of the thought in your head. <laughs> you know, guys, you can get flowers free. You live in California. All you have to do is go out in your backyard and pick one. That's what your kids do. How many mothers have ever received a dandelion from your kids? Yeah. Yeah. They saw it. They were fascinated by it. They brought it and gave it to mama. You don't have any flowers in your backyard? Check out your neighbor's yard. <laughs> Ask them. Don't steal them. Ask them. They'll give you a flower. <laughs> or you could go to a funeral. <laughs> I did that not long ago. I was out at the cemetery, and the service was over. The family was leaving. There was flowers on the casket. And as some of the family members were leaving, they started pulling out roses. And one of them said to me, Dr. Chapman, would you like to have a rose? I said, I certainly would. Thank you. <laughs> I took that thing home and gave it to my wife. I told her where I got it. She still liked it. You can pick up a stone in a city parking lot and take it home and give it to an eight-year-old boy and say, hey, man, I found this today. And I thought about you. Look at the colors in this thing, man. If gifts is his love language, you'll find that stone in his dresser drawer when he's 23, and he'll remember the day you gave it to him. A husband said to me the other day, he said, "Doc Chapman, he said, I was taking my walk, and I saw a bird feather, and I picked it up, brushed it off. And when I got home, I said to my wife, Honey, I found this bird feather today, and I want to give it to you because it reminded me that you are the wind beneath my wings, girl. <laughs> Woo! He had a home run. Didn't cost him a penny. He gave her a gift and words of affirmation. <laughs> Number three is acts of service. Doing something for them that you know they would like for you to do. First John chapter 3, verse 18. Love not in word only, but in deed. Do something to show your love. Remember the old saying, actions speak louder than words. It's true if this is their love language. It's not true for everyone, but if this is their love language, actions will speak louder than words. Now, in a marriage, this would be such things as uh, cooking meals. Incidentally, that is a huge act of service, cooking a meal. Any, anybody here still cook? Yeah, a few of you. My, my son didn't get married until he was 34. People kept asking, when are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? He would say, when you grow up in the home of a marriage counselor, you're very careful. (laughs) But eventually he got married. He came home and he said, Dad, I got a bonus when I married Amy. I said, really? He said, yeah, Dad, she likes to cook. I never thought I'd find a girl in my generation that likes to cook. (laughs) Then my daughter married a man that likes to cook. My kids got it made on the cooking deal. Washing dishes is an act of service. Who does that at your place? Puts them in the dishwasher and all that good stuff. Yeah. Vacuuming floors is an act of service. Who does that? Yeah. Uh, washing the car or running it through the car wash, that's act of service. Walking the dog is an act of service. Uh, changing the baby's diaper, woo huge act of service. <laughs> anything. You see, with children, we have to speak this language the day they're born because they can't do anything. You have to do it all. Put the food in, take the food out. You do the whole thing. (laughs) So this this applies to children as well as adults, acts of service. Number four is quality time. Giving the other person your full attention, undivided attention. Mark chapter 3 and verse 14 says of Jesus, he ordained 12, we call them the 12 disciples. Listen, that he might be with them. Jesus preached to multitudes. He gave quality time to 12 men. Now, when it comes to marriage, I am not talking about a husband and wife sitting on the couch watching television. Someone else has your attention. I'm talking about sitting on the couch with the TV off, computer down. We're not answering our phone. We're giving each other our undivided attention and talking with each other. Or it could be taking a walk down the road and talking as you walk or going out at a restaurant to eat, assuming that you talk. We've all seen it in the restaurant, husband and wife across the table, and both of them have their phone out, looking at their phone. That's not quality time. That's proximity, but it's not quality time. Now, with children, to speak this language, you have to go to where they are because they cannot come to where you are. So when they're little, crawling on the floor, and you want to spend quality time, you get on the floor, and you let them crawl all over you. Get a little older, you go to the sandbox, We do fairly well when they're young, but when they get to be teenagers, we don't always want to go where they are. So what do they do? They go down the street and find somebody who will go where they are, and you miss out. I remember when my son got into Buddy Holly. Anybody old enough to remember Buddy Holly? A few of you, yeah. He got into Buddy Holly. When he did, I got into Buddy Holly. Man, I read the lyrics to his songs. I said, Derek, listen to this, man. I like this one. One day I said to him, I said, I've got to go to Fort Worth, Texas to speak. Why don't you go with me? And when I finish speaking, you and I will drive out to Lubbock, and we will discover Buddy's hometown. Oh, Dad, I'd love to do that. I had no idea how far it was from Fort Worth to Lubbock. (laughs) Whoa, it's a long journey, and not a lot out there except tumbleweed and railroad tracks. (laughs) We went to the Chamber of Commerce. They gave us three pages on Buddy Holly. We went out to the house where he was born, Actually, the house had been torn down, but I took a picture of my son on the lot where Buddy Holly's house used to be. And then we went out to the schoolhouse, all the schools that he went to, went to the church where he was married and where they had his funeral, uh, went to where they played his first record, went out to the the cemetery, and I gave my son a little time there alone, you know. And then we drove all the way back to Fort Worth talking about wonder what would have happened if Buddy hadn't got killed in that plane crash. And then wonder if... Buddy really was a Christian because his youth director at the church told us that Buddy was a Christian. I said, Derek, we might see him in heaven, man. Woo, won't that be great? Now, folks, can I be honest? I didn't care about Buddy Holly. He was already dead, okay? (laughs) But I cared a whole lot about my son. You with me? Whatever your teenager gets into, you go with them. My son got off to university. He got interested in the symphony, (laughs) Woo! That's when I learned that. What, learned what an oboe is. You know, you go with them wherever they're interested. You go there, and you can spend quality time with them. For some, this is their primary love language. And then there's physical touch. Mark chapter ten, verse thirteen and following. Jesus was speaking to the multitudes, and people started bringing their little children, and his disciples rebuked them and said, "No, no, no, no! This is not for children." And Jesus said, "Oh, hey, guys." Bring the little children to me, for such is the kingdom of God. And the next verse says, he put his hands on the children and blessed them. Physical touch. You see, this is why we pick up babies and hold them and kiss them and cuddle them. And long before the baby understands the meaning of the word love, the baby feels love by physical touch. Now, in a marriage, this is such things as holding hands, kissing, embracing, the whole sexual part of marriage, arm around the shoulder, driving down the road, you put your hand on their leg, sitting around the house, and they walk by and you trip them. <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't, don't trip your spouse. I'm kidding. Now, listen to me very carefully. Out of those love languages, each of us, married or single, young or old, each of us has what I'm calling a primary love language. It's very similar to spoken language. Every one of us grew up speaking a language with a dialect, and that's the one we understand best. We call it our native tongue. I grew up speaking English, Southeastern style, but every one of us grew up speaking a language with a dialect. Same thing is true when it comes to love. And uh, by nature, let me say this, almost never does a husband and wife have the same love language. It does happen, but not very often. And even if it happens, they will likely have different dialects of that particular language. For example, a lady said to me, Gary, my husband and I have the same love language. I said, wonderful. What is it? She said, acts of service. But, she said, the things I want him to do for me that make me feel loved are different from the things he wants me to do to make him feel loved. You got it? Same language, just different dialects. So we each have a different, di- each have a different language. And if you have three children, they may well have three different love languages. So, uh, and let me just say this. You can determine a child's love language by the time they're four years old. Just observe their behavior. How do they love you? How do they respond to you? My son's love language is physical touch. When he was that age, I came home from work. He'd run to the door and grab my leg and climb all over me. He's touching me because he wants to be touched. Our daughter never did that. At that age, she would say, Daddy, come into my room. I want to show you something. She wanted quality time. So it's there very early in life. Uh, by nature, we speak our own love language. That is, we express love to other people in the way that we want to feel loved ourselves. When I got married, I knew nothing, of course, about love languages. In fact, I knew I didn't know much about anything when I got married. (laughs) But I knew nothing about love languages. Uh, But I did know that when people gave me affirming words, I knew that I felt appreciated. So just by nature... In those early weeks of our marriage, before I came down off the high, just by nature, I gave her words of affirmation. I told her how nice she looked in that outfit. I told told her how much I appreciated what she did. I probably told her a dozen times a day, I love you, honey. I am so glad I married you. I love you, love you, love you. (laughs) And one night she said to me, you know, you keep on saying, I love you. If you love me, why don't you help me? And I said, "What, what do you mean? And she said, "Well, you don't ever offer to wash the dishes, and you don't ever clean the toilet, and you don't ever vacuum." And I'm thinking to myself, "Well, my mama did all that stuff." I mean, I mean wh- 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 what are you talking about, woman? <laughs> I told you I knew almost nothing about marriage, okay? And uh, so we 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 had a really horrible time because we argued, and I lost the positive feelings. I got the negative feelings because. You know, she wouldn't listen to me, and she wouldn't do what I said, and, and yeah. I mean, we we, we we really had a hard time, and I remember one time we had an argument, and it was raining outside, and she walked out the door into the rain, and I'm thinking, man, this is bad. When a woman walks in the rain, it's bad, you know. You uh, see, I was just doing what came natural to me, but it wasn't her love language, and she wasn't getting it. So... Uh, Obviously, the answer is we have to learn to speak the language of the other person. I mean, if you want to keep her love tank full, then you speak her language. If you want to keep your husband's love tank full, you speak his language. And when you do, the emotional climate of the marriage is positive, And you can work through conflicts much easier if the both of you feel loved by the other person. You see, when you don't feel loved by the person, you, you begin to have the thoughts I had, that, you know, I've married the wrong person. I mean, this is not working. and And I... I don't know what to do about this. So uh, we obviously have to learn to speak the other person's language. Now, people say to me, Gary, okay, I get the idea, but what if the love language of the other person is something that doesn't come natural for you? And my answer, so you learn it. Uh, I had a man say to me, he said, Dr. Shalman, he said, my, my wife's love language, we read your book, we took the quiz, and her love language is words of affirmation. He said, I don't know how to do that. He said, I never got words growing up, positive words. He said, I don't know how to do that. He said, I, I said, well, okay. I said, let me ask you a question. Can you tell me three things that you, you like about your wife or you appreciate about your wife? He said, well, he said, she's a good cook. And he said, she's a good school teacher. And she's a good mother. I said, okay, let's start there. And I just wrote out a sentence or two about each one of those. Like uh, on, the, on the cooking, I put, honey, I haven't told you this, but I really appreciate all the good meals that you cook for us. And I just wrote a sentence out like that. I said, now here's your assignment. You go home and you get in a room by yourself in front of a mirror and you read these out loud and you hear yourself actually saying these things. Okay, do this twice a day this week. So said, okay, came back. I said, did you do it? He said, yeah, I did. I said, can you, can you say those sentences now without looking at your notes? And he did. I said, now, here's your assignment. The next three weeks, each week, you give her one of these compliments. I don't care when you do it during the week, but just sometime during the week. So he came back. I said, did you do it? He said, I did, Dr. Chapman. I said, how'd she respond? He said, on the third one, she said to me, what's going on with you? (laughs) I've never heard you give me so many compliments. I said, what did you say? He said, I said, well, honey, I'm just trying to learn how to express to you how much I love you. She said, That is so sweet. I love you so much. (laughs) He said, Dr. Chapman, she hadn't said that in a long time. (laughs) You you, you understand what I'm saying? You can learn how to do these. I remember the the father who said to me, Dr. Chapman, he said, I read your book on children. And and, and he said, My son's love language is, uh, he's 10 years old, and his love language is physical touch. And he said, Dr. Chapman, I cannot imagine walking up to my 10-year-old son and hugging him. He said, my father never hugged me. He said, I don't remember ever being hugged as a kid. And he said, I I just, I don't know if I can do that. And I said, okay, okay. I said, come up here. Stand beside of me. And I said, now, hit me on the shoulder. He hit me on the shoulder. I said, that's your assignment this week. Just one time this week, walk up to your son, wherever he is, and just walk up and hit him on the shoulder. I said, you can run if you want to. Hit him and run. (laughs) Next week, I said, now, hit me again. He hit me again. I said, now, just pat me on the back twice, and he did. I said, that's your assignment this week. One time, you hit him on the shoulder. Another time, tap him twice on the back, and we just went like that for a few weeks, and the week he finally came back after he had hugged his son, he said, Dr. Chapman, he said, I hugged him. I hugged him. I hugged him. It felt so good, Dr. (laughs) You see, folks, I don't care what your childhood was like. I don't care if you didn't get loved in the way that the, 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 your spouse wants to be loved. We can learn to speak these languages. This is where attitude comes in, remember? Yeah, attitude. I had a man, uh, here's, here's what I mean by that. I had a man say to me, he said, Dr. Chapman, he said, my wife and I read your book and said, her language is acts of service. He said, but I'm just going to tell you and her. If it's going to take my washing dishes and my vacuuming floors for her to feel love, she can forget that. (laughs) And I said, that's your choice. I said, love is a choice. If you choose to live with a wife who has an empty love tank, that's your choice. I said, I much prefer to live with a wife who has a full love tank. I said, I've lived with both. Same woman, early years, empty love tank. Latter years, full love tank. I said, my wife's language is physical, is acts of service, too. I said, that's why I wash dishes. I take out the trash. I vacuum floors. And my wife tells me I'm the greatest husband in the world. My language is words of affirmation. And I know that she's exaggerating, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me, in closing, just briefly tell you what happened that turned our marriage around. What compounded my problem with all of our conflicts and all of our arguing is that two weeks after we got married, I enrolled in seminary to study to be a pastor. And here I am now, married and miserable, and I'm studying to be a pastor. And I'm saying to myself and later to God, I can't do this. I cannot be this miserable and get up and preach hope to people. I can't do it. And eventually, I'll never forget the night that I said to God, I don't know what else to do. I've done everything I know to do, and it's not getting any better. If anything, it's getting worse, and I don't know what else to do. And as soon as I said that, there came to my mind a visual image of Jesus on his knees washing the feet of his disciples. Remember that? And I heard God say to me, that's the problem in your marriage. You do not have the attitude of Christ toward your wife. Hit me like a ton of bricks. Because I remember what Jesus said when he stood up. He washed their feet. He stood up and said to them, I am your leader. And in my kingdom, this is the way you lead. The leader serves. And I knew that was not my attitude. My attitude was something like, look, I know how to have a good marriage. If you listen to me, we'll have one. And she wouldn't listen to me. And I blamed her. But that day, I got a different message. And I said, Lord, forgive me. With all of my study in theology, I've missed the whole point. And I said, please give me the attitude of Christ toward my wife. In retrospect, it is the greatest prayer I ever prayed about my marriage because God changed my heart. Three questions made this practical for me. When I was willing to ask these three questions, my marriage began to change. They're simple questions. Question number one, honey, what could I do to help you? Question number two, how could I make your life easier? Question number three, how could I be a better husband? When I was willing to ask those questions, my wife was willing to give me answers. Mm -hmm, She told me. Again, remember, I knew nothing about love languages. But looking back on it, her answers were telling me her love language. And when I started responding to those things, you know what happened? Not overnight, but within three months my wife started asking me those same questions. What can I do to help you? How can I make your life easier? How can I be a better wife? We've been walking this road a long time now, and I have an incredible wife. In fact, I said to her the other day, you know, Carolyn, if every woman in the world was like you, there'd never be a divorce. Why would a man leave a woman who's doing everything she can to help him? And my goal through these years has been to so serve her that when I'm gone, she'll never find another man to treat her the way I've treated her. The woman's going to miss me. And you know what I believe? This is God's intention. God never ordained marriage to make us miserable. God ordained marriage because he made us for each other. When we do it God's way and we each serve the other, we both become winners. And then we can turn and bless the world. You know why I believe that one reason why the contemporary Christian church in America has not made a greater impact on the non-Christian world is that our churches are filled with couples who married couples who have never gotten it together. And so they fuss and they fight, or they just stay away from each other. And they have no motivation to say to non-Christians, wouldn't you like to be a Christian and be as miserable as we are? But if you ever get it together like this, non-Christians will recognize it. They'll ask you questions. How long y'all been married? Still holding hands? What's the deal? And you have a chance to tell them how your heart got changed by God and how you, you, you're a follower of Christ, and you're, you're, you're trying to do what Christ did, and you've learned how to serve each other. And you have a chance to bring up your relationship with God right there in the context. I mean, that you know, it's just an overflow of a, of a healthy marriage. And, you know, people say to me, well, Gary, you know, many times through the years, I have one person come, the wife or the husband. They say, well, my, my spouse won't come for counseling. They won't read a book on marriage. They won't go to a conference on marriage. They won't even talk about us. And their attitude is nothing can be done to help our marriage. Listen, I know we can't change our spouse, but we can influence our spouse. And I don't care whether it's a husband or a wife, either one of them who gets the concept I'm sharing here, and says to God, "Lord, I want to be Your representative in loving my spouse. Pour Your love into me." Romans 5:5 says the love of God is poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I want to be Your representative, God, and You reach out to love them in the right love language over a six-month period, man, I've seen spouses just melt before the six months is over and they come back and start loving you. Now, we can't change them. We can influence them. Now, Please just let me clarify this. I'm not saying you only speak the person's primary language. No, no, you give heavy doses of the primary. You sprinkle in the other four for extra credit. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at FreeChapelOC.